Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I would like to uh, switch gears from philosophy back to literature again. Uh, today I want to go into a little bit of a discussion about uh, the Romantics and Walt Whitman in particular. Uh, we did a little bit of a discussion of the Romantics when we talked about the history of British and American literature. So some of this may be a little bit of a review of what we've talked about before, but going into Whitman is going to be a little more uh, in the specifics. Uh, if you remember, the Romantic movement really starts with Williams, William Wordsworth and Samuel Taylor Coleridge, uh, in the British Romantics, anyways. Um, and one of the things that the Romantics wanted to do was to get away from the archaic language that poetry had been using. You know, in Shakespeare we see a lot of these and thous and thines, but even in Shakespeare's time, that was archaic. It was what was known as poetic diction. Um, this is the language of poetry, but not the language that people spoke in everyday life. So Wordsworth, in particular, starts out the idea that poetry should be in the language of the people. Now the British Romantics, while they do bring the language down more towards words that are commonly being used uh, by the people of the time, they do still keep it highly stylized in the structures that they use. They use very uh, particular structures of uh, sound, rhyme patterns, uh, syllable patterns, uh, things like that. So they're using still very traditional uh, methods of writing poetry. When you get to the American Romantics, and Whitman in particular, um, this is in a much later time period, for one. Uh, the American Romantic movement starts later than the British Romantic movement. Um, the older generation of the British were Wordsworth and Coleridge and Southey, the younger generation, uh, Byron, Shelley, and Keats. Well, Whitman is even after the younger generation of Romantics in England. Uh, Whitman actually does first uh, go along with the idea of using the language of common people, but Whitman takes it a step farther and goes into using the rhythms of the language as well. Um, so he gets rid of the stylized stanzas, and his poetry tries to imitate more the sound of people actually speaking. So you lose a lot of the rhyme, you lose the syllable count, um, and he's going for making this a much more organic and natural form. Uh, this kind of ties the Romantic movement together even more, because as I mentioned before in the Romantic movement, this is also the rise of poetry, or of prose, I should say. <clears throat> Prior to the Romantics, prose writing was very rare. Uh, most things that were written were written in poetic form. You have a few novels here and there, but not very many. At the start of the Romantic period, you start getting lots and lots of short stories and novels being written, um, things being written in prose. So Whitman kind of marries these two together. He marries together the prose and the poetry, uh, and also brings in the more common everyday language of the people. Um, Whitman's The Romantics also had a shift in audience, as I, as I talked about before, where prior to the Romantics, 
really literature was written for the upper classes. Anytime you had a lower class character, they were generally there as comic relief. You know, if you think about the lower class characters in Shakespeare, they're often the clown, or they're often in his comedies. Or if they're in one of his serious works, they provide a little bit of comic relief for the heaviness of the action. Uh, prior to the Romantics, the only people who were thought to be worthy of uh, having things written about them, being the stars of the work of literature, were the upper class, the nobility. You still have a little bit of that in the British Romantics here and there. They still have some poetry, some novels written with upper class characters, but you start to get regular people coming in as more serious characters. Now this is even more pronounced with the American Romantics like Whitman because Americans were not uh, in as rigid of a class system as the British. Uh, the British class system was still very rigid at this point in time. Uh, if you were born into nobility, you were a noble. If you were born into the peasantry, you were a peasant. And there really wasn't any way you could move up or down as far as your classification. Now, you could move up or down as far as your wealth. There were people who were born without titles who ended up becoming wealthier than the nobility. But there still was this sense that there are two different classes. There is the nobility class and the peasantry class. Uh, whereas in the Americas, you don't really have that. You still have the idea of there are wealthy people and poor people, and at this time period there's still slavery, but you don't have uh, as much of an identification of the class. And we still don't as much uh, in this country. You know, most Americans would consider themselves middle class, regardless if they are middle class or not. Uh, they may actually be working poor, they may be the bottom levels of the upper class, but most Americans consider themselves middle class. And Whitman, when he writes his poetry, is aiming at talking about all levels of life, not just the middle class and the upper class, but Whitman also brings in um, the very poor, beggars. Um, he is kind of embracing all of it, and he's doing it not in a spirit of here's this group that's better than this group that's better than this group. He's doing it in a spirit that all of these groups are wonderful. You know, it's as wonderful to be a poor person as it is to be a rich person um, because you're still a part of this uh, whole American experience. Uh, Whitman, one of the critiques of him has been that he is a person who was seen as often overly optimistic. He was seen as someone who uh, saw the country, saw the world, and sort of fell in love with it, um, warts and all. So he does tend to, by some people, be listed as being a bit too uh, optimistic. I want to share a little bit of the end of Song of Myself. Um, one of the things that Whitman, uh, in particular... Uh, does with a lot of his poetry, which was started by the earlier Romantics, is he uses the first person. Now, the other Romantics generally use the first person to be whoever their narrator was. 
Uh, Whitman a lot of times uses the first person and is speaking as Walt Whitman. Um, he even puts his name in one of his poems. Uh, I, Walt Whitman, a cosmos, you know, his, his, he actually puts his name in there. So there starts to be a blurring between the narrator with Whitman and the author. <clears throat> but I wanted to share the last part of Song of Myself. Song of Myself is a pretty long poem. It has 52 sections. Uh, this is the end of the last section. The last scud of day holds back from me. It flings my likeness after the rest, and true as any of the shadowed wilds. It coaxes me to the vapor and the dusk. I depart as air. I shake my white locks at the runaway sun. I effuse my flesh in eddies and drift in lacy jags. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless, and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere waiting for you. This is a very, from a cultural perspective, you can see a lot of the uh, ideas of the transcendentalists, like Emerson and Thoreau, and you can see a lot of sort of almost a uh, pantheistic tradition in Whitman. Um, Whitman's uh, spirituality that he's putting forth here is more one of sort of returning to nature. Um, you know, he sees himself as when he dies as kind of going back to being part of the earth and being part of what nurtures future generations. This is very different from uh, what would be the mainstream Christian view of the time, is that when you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell, uh, depending on how you've been behaving. This is more of a, we came from this earth, we're going back to this earth, and we're going to be part of everything. So this is a very different uh, spirituality that's kind of being put forth here. Now Whitman, during his lifetime, was not widely read, and a lot of the people who did read him kind of dismissed him as being a writer of filth. You know, partially for things like the passage I just read, where he kind of completely skips over anything that would be considered uh, the Christian uh, tradition, but also because there are large passages in Whitman where he describes the human form in very detailed and... Um, uh, graphic ways. Not using, not graphic as in using curse words, but graphic is being very descriptive and not necessarily describing things that people would think of as beautiful, what you would describe in poetry. You know, he describes the body as it is. Um, he describes sex in some of his passages. He does it in an artistic way, but when you look at what he's saying, he's he's talking about sex, and he's talking about it in very specific detail, which in the 1800s was completely scandalous. You know, you didn't mention sex. Uh, the, the British, by the time Whitman was writing, were in the Victorian period, and the Victorians were definitely not writing anything about sex, at least not in their mainstream novels. So the fact that Whitman is kind of being very open about this and describing 
biological facts basically as as they are, but still making them uh, something beautiful is is something that is very shocking. And this is a big reason that Whitman is much more of an influence in the 20th century, in the 21st century, than he was <clears throat> in the 19th century. Uh, people back then were not ready for that kind of openness. Uh, in addition to the sensuality of Whitman, um, there's also something that uh, would even still be shocking to a lot of people in the uh, 20th century, and that Whitman was a homosexual. And so a lot of the descriptions he describes of sensuality are descriptions that are uh, being described between two men. Uh, this is definitely not something you would expect out of the very prim and proper 1800s of the United States, and also a reason why he was pretty much shunned back then um, and becomes much more acceptable in the 20th century. One of the things with a lot of writers is that a lot of writers, uh, Whitman, uh, Henry Miller, uh, people like that, is they tend to be a little ahead of their time or sometimes a lot ahead of their time and the people of their time period can't quite get on board and wrap their minds around what these people are doing. But as times become a little more uh, enlightened, um, the audience eventually seems to catch up with some of these writers. Uh, I'm going to break off for there uh, today. Uh, I hope all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe. And I look forward to speaking with all of you again soon. Have a good day.